Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. Merry Christmas and happy holidays my brothers and sisters. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. Financial Toxicity in Patients with Resected Lung Cancer. Objectives. To describe financial toxicity, FT, in patients with resected lung cancer and identify risk factors in this population. Background. FT describes the financial burden associated with cancer care and its impact on the quality of survivorship. Few prior studies have examined FT in patients with lung cancer. Methods. Patients who underwent lung cancer resection at our institution between January 1, 2016 and December 31, 2021 were surveyed to gather demographic information and evaluate FT using a validated questionnaire. A multivariable model was built to identify risk factors for FT. Results Of the total, 1,477 patients were contacted, of whom 463 responded, 31.3%. Most patients were stage I, N equals 349, 75.4%, and lobectomy was performed often. N equals 290, 62.8%. There were 196 patients, 42.3%, who experienced FT. Upon multivariable analyzes, divorce marital status, odds ratio or equals 3.658, 95% C, 1.180 to 11.337, household income less than $40,000, or equals 2.544, 95% C, 1.003 to 6.455, credit score below 739 or equals 2.744, 95% C, 1.326 to 5.679, clinical stage greater than I or equals 2.053, 95% C, 1.088 to 3.877, and change in work hours or work cessation, all P less than 0.05, were associated with FT. Coping mechanisms, such as decreased spending on food or clothing and increased use of savings or borrowing money, were more likely to be reported by patients experiencing FT than those who did not, P less than 0.001. Conclusions Patients undergoing lung cancer resection often experience significant financial stress with several identifiable risk factors. FT should be considered early in the care of these patients to alleviate detrimental coping mechanisms and enhance their quality of survivorship. C1, do 1, improve one's wellness, resident autonomy in U.S. general surgery programs, a mixed method study. Objective. We sought to examine the factors associated with resident perceptions of autonomy and to characterize the relationship between resident autonomy and wellness. Background. Concerns exist that resident autonomy is decreasing, impacting competence. Methods. 
Quantitative data were collected through a cross-sectional survey administered at the 2020 app site. Qualitative data were collected through interviews and focus groups with residents and faculty at 15 programs. Results 7,233 residents, 85.5% response rate, from 324 programs completed the survey. Of 5,139 residents with complete data, 4,424, 82.2%, reported appropriate autonomy, and these residents were less likely to experience burnout, odds ratio, or 0.69, 95% see 0.58 to 0.83, suicidality, or 0.69, 95% see 0.54 to 0.89, and thoughts of leaving their programs, or 0.45, 95% see 0.37 to 0.54. Women were less likely to report appropriate autonomy, or 0.81, 95% see 0.68 to 0.97. Residents were more likely to report appropriate autonomy if they also reported satisfaction with their workload, or 1.65, 95% see 1.28 to 2.11, work-life balance, or 2.01, 95% see 1.57 to 2.58, faculty engagement, or 3.55, 95% see 2.86 to 4.35, resident camaraderie, or 2.23, 95% C, 1.78 to 2.79, and efficiency and resources, or 2.37, 95% C, 1.95 to 2.88. Qualitative data revealed that, 1, autonomy gives meaning to the clinical experience of residency, 2, multiple factors create barriers to autonomy, and, 3, autonomy is not inherent to the training paradigm requiring residents to learn behaviors to earn it. Conclusion Autonomy is not considered an inherent part of the training paradigm such that residents can assume that they will achieve it. Resources to function autonomously should be allocated equitably to support all residents' educational growth and wellness. Going for Broke the impact of cost of living on surgery residents' stipend value. Objective The objective of this study was to provide a direct comparison of first-year general surgery resident stipends across states and major cities, using the cost of living index, COLI, to determine stipend value. Background Financial challenges are among residents' top sources of stress, and this may be exacerbated in areas with high costs of living. A 2021 survey found that the mean first-year medical resident stipend increased by 0.6%, or $358, from 2020 to 2021, and only 33% of institutions used cost of living to determine annual resident stipend adjustments. Methods An American Medical Association database was used to identify accredited general surgery residency programs. The 2021-2022 stipend data for first-year general surgery positions were obtained, then data were grouped by state and major city and averaged. Major cities were defined as cities with greater than four programs. A direct comparison of stipends was performed using the COLI. Results Stipend data were available for 337 of 346 general surgery programs. The national average first-year residency stipend was $60,064 plus or minus $42,33.
The average coli adjusted stipend was $57,090 plus or minus $57,42, with a value loss of minus $3,493, or 5%. For major cities, the average stipend was $63,383 plus or minus $45,24, and the average coli adjusted stipend was $46,929 plus or minus $83,83 with an average value loss of minus $16,454, or 26%. Conclusions The financial burdens that residents face cannot be overlooked, and the cost of living has a meaningful impact on resident stipend value. The current graduate medical education compensation structure limits federal and institutional capacity to adjust for the cost of living and creates an insulated market in which residents are undercompensated. High-risk prescribing following surgery among payer types for patients on chronic opioids. Objective. Among those on chronic opioids, to determine whether patients with Medicaid coverage have higher rates of high-risk opioid prescribing following surgery compared with patients on private insurance. Background. Following surgery, patients on chronic opioids experience gaps and transitions of care back to their usual opioid prescriber, but differences by payer type are not well understood. This study aimed to analyze how new high-risk opioid prescribing following surgery compares between Medicaid and private insurance. Methods In this retrospective cohort study through the Michigan Surgical Quality Collaborative, perioperative data from 70 hospitals across Michigan were linked to prescription drug monitoring program data. Patients with either Medicaid or private insurance were compared. The outcome of interest was new high-risk prescribing, defined as a new occurrence of overlapping opioids or benzodiazepines, multiple prescribers, high daily doses, or long-acting opioids. Data were analyzed using multivariable regressions and a Cox regression model for return to usual prescriber. Results Among 1,435 patients, 23.6%, 95% C, 20.3% to 26.8%, with Medicaid and 22.7%, 95% C, 19.8% to 25.6%, with private insurance experience new, postoperative high-risk prescribing. New multiple prescribers was the greatest contributing factor for both payer types. Medicaid insurance was not associated with higher odds of high-risk prescribing, odds ratio, 1.067, 95% C, 0.813 to 1.402. Conclusions Among patients on chronic opioids, new high-risk prescribing following surgery was high across payer types. This highlights the need for future policies to curb high-risk prescribing patterns, particularly in vulnerable populations that are at risk of greater morbidity and mortality. Indole-3-propionic acid, a gut microbiota metabolite, protects against the development of postoperative delirium. Objective The aim was to determine preoperative gut microbiota metabolites that may be associated with postoperative delirium, POD, development in patients and further study in rodents. Summary background data POD occurs in 9% to 50% of older patients undergoing anesthesia-slash-surgery but lacks effective treatments or prevention. 
High-throughput metabolomics using liquid chromatography with tandem mass spectrometry has accelerated disease-related biomarkers discovery. We performed metabolomic studies in humans to identify potential metabolite biomarkers linked to POD and examined potential mechanisms in rodents. Methods We performed a prospective observational cohort study to examine the metabolomic changes that were associated with the development of POD. Then the gut microbiota-related metabolomic changes were recapitulated by gut microbiota perturbation in rodents. POD was assessed in mice using a battery of behavioral tests including novel objective test, Y-maze test, open field test, and buried food test. The mechanisms through which gut microbiota-related metabolomic changes influenced POD were examined using chemogenetics. Results Indole-3-propionic acid, IPA is a gut microbiota metabolite that belongs to the indole family. Baseline plasma levels of IPA were significantly inversely correlated with the onset of POD in 103, 17 cases, human individuals. This relationship was validated in preclinical mouse models for POD, reducing IPA levels through gut microbiota perturbation promoted POD-like behavior. More importantly, IPA administration deterred POD-like behavior. Colonization of germ-free mice with mutant Clostridium sporogenes that did not produce IPA promoted pod-like behavior. Chemogenetic studies revealed that the protective effect of IPA in mice was mediated, in part, by peroxisome proliferator-activated receptor gamma-coactivator 1-alpha in hippocampal interneurons. Conclusions Gut microbiota-derived IPA is an important molecule implicated in the pathogenesis of pod, which could potentially be harnessed for pod prevention. Non-English primary language, a growing population's access to cholecystectomy. Objective. To examine access to cholecystectomy and postoperative outcomes among non-English primary speaking patients. Background. The population of U.S. residents with limited English proficiency is growing. Language affects health literacy and is a well-recognized barrier to health care in the United States of America. Historically marginalized communities are at greater risk of requiring emergent gallbladder operations. However, little is known about how primary language affects surgical access and outcomes of common surgical procedures, such as cholecystectomy. Methods We conducted a retrospective cohort study of adult patients after receipt of cholecystectomy in Michigan, Maryland, and New Jersey utilizing the Healthcare Cost and Utilization Project State Inpatient Database and State Ambulatory Surgery and Services Database, 2016-2018. Patients were classified by primary spoken language, English or non-English. The primary outcome was admission type. Secondary outcomes included operative setting, operative approach, and hospital mortality, postoperative complications, and length of stay. Multivariable logistics and Poisson regression were used to examine outcomes. Results Among 122,013 patients who underwent cholecystectomy, 91.6% were primarily English-speaking and 8.4% were non-English primary language-speaking. Primary non-English-speaking patients had a higher likelihood of emergent-slash-urgent admissions, odds ratio, 1.22, 95% C, 1.04 to 1.44, p equals 0.015, and a lower likelihood of having an outpatient operation, odds ratio, 0.80, 95% c, 
0.70 to 0.91, P equals 0.0008. There was no difference in the use of a minimally invasive approach or postoperative outcomes based on the primary language spoken. Conclusions Non-English primary language speakers were more likely to access cholecystectomy through the emergency department and less likely to receive outpatient cholecystectomy. Barriers to elective surgical presentation for this growing patient population need to be further studied. Surgical Episodes of Care for Price Transparency Using the Episode Grouper for Medicare Objective To explore the use of an episode grouper to more accurately identify the complete set of surgical services typically provided in a surgical episode of care and the corresponding range of prices, using colectomy for cancer as the example. Background Price transparency is an important policy issue that will require surgeons to better understand the components and cost of care. Methods. This study uses the episode grouper for Medicare business logic to construct colectomy surgical episodes of care for cancer using Medicare claims data for the Boston Hospital referral region from 2012 to 2015. Descriptive statistics show the mean reimbursement based on patient severity and stage of surgery, along with the number of unique clinicians billing for care and the mix of services provided. Results. The episode grouper for Medicare episode grouper identified 3,182 colectomies in Boston between 2012 and 2015, with 1,607 done for cancer. The mean Medicare allowed amount per case is $29,954 and varies from $26,605 to $36,850 as you move from low to high severity cases. The intrafacility stage is the most expensive, $23,175 on average, compared with the pre, $780 and post, $6,479 facility stages. There is tremendous heterogeneity in the service mix. Conclusions Episode groupers are a potentially valuable tool for identifying variations in service mix and teaming patterns that correlate with a total price. By looking at patient care holistically, Stakeholders can identify opportunities for price transparency and care redesign that have heretofore been hidden. Association between payer type and risk of persistent opioid use after surgery. Objective To assess whether the risk of persistent opioid use after surgery varies by payer type. Background Persistent opioid use is associated with increased health care utilization and risk of opioid use disorder, opioid overdose, and mortality. Most research assessing the risk of persistent opioid use has focused on privately insured patients. Whether this risk varies by payer type is poorly understood. Methods This cross-sectional analysis of the Michigan Surgical Quality Collaborative Database examined adults aged 18 to 64 years undergoing surgical procedures across 70 hospitals between January 1, 2017 and October 31, 2019. The primary outcome was persistent opioid use, defined a priori as 1 plus opioid prescription fulfillment at 1 and additional opioid prescription fulfillment after an initial postoperative fulfillment in the perioperative period or at least one fulfillment in the 4 to 90 days after discharge and 2 at least one opioid prescription fulfillment in the 91 to 180 days after discharge 
The association between this outcome and payer type was evaluated using logistic regression, adjusting for patient and procedure characteristics. Results Among 40,071 patients included, the mean age was 45.3 years, SD 12.3, 24,853, 62%, were female, 9,430, 23.5%, were Medicaid insured, 26,760, 66.8%, were privately insured, and 3,889, 9.7%, were covered by other payer types. The rate of poo was 11.5% and 5.6% for Medicaid-insured and privately insured patients, respectively, average marginal effect for Medicaid, 2.9%, 95% C2.3% to 3.6%. Conclusions Persistent opioid use remains common among individuals undergoing surgery and higher among patients with Medicaid insurance. Strategies to optimize postoperative recovery should focus on adequate pain management for all patients and consider tailored pathways for those at Myocardial injury after non-cardiac surgery in major general surgical patients a prospective observational cohort study. Objective the objective of this study was to determine the prognostic relevance, clinical characteristics, and 30-day outcomes associated with myocardial injury after non-cardiac surgery, MINS, in major general surgery patients. Background MINS has been independently associated with 30-day mortality after non-cardiac surgery. The characteristics and prognostic importance of MINS in major general surgical patients have not been described. Methods this was an international prospective cohort study of a representative sample of 22,552 non-cardiac surgery patients 45 years or older, of whom 4,490 underwent major general surgery in 24 centers in 13 countries. All patients had fifth-generation plasma high-sensitivity troponin T, HSTNT, concentrations measured during the first three postoperative days. MINS was defined as a HSTNT of 20 to 65 nanograms slash L and absolute change greater than 5 nanograms slash L or HSTNT greater than or equal to 65 in slash L secondary to ischemia. The objectives of the present study were to determine, 1. Whether MINS is prognostically important in major general surgical patients, 2. The clinical characteristics of major general surgical patients with and without MINS, 3. The 30-day outcomes for major general surgical patients with and without MINS, and 4. The proportion of MINS that would have gone undetected without routine postoperative monitoring. Results The incidence of MINS in the major general surgical patients was 16.3%, 95% C, 15.3 to 17.4%. 30-day all-cause mortality in the major general surgical cohort was 6.8%, 95% C, 5.1% to 8.9%, in patients with MINS compared with 1.2%, 95% C, 0.9% to 1.6%, in patients without MINS, P less than 0.01. MINS was independently associated with 30-day mortality in major general surgical patients, adjusted odds ratio 4.7, 95% C, 3.0 to 7.4. The 30-day mortality was higher both among MINS patients with no ischemic features, e, no ischemic symptoms or electrocardiogram findings 5.4%, 95% C, 
3.7% to 7.7%, and among patients with one or more clinical ischemic features, 10.6%, 95% C, 6.7% to 15.8%. The proportion of major general surgical patients who had MINS without ischemic symptoms was 89.9%, 95% C, 87.5 to 92.0. Conclusions Approximately 1 in 6 patients experienced the MINS after major general surgery. MINS was independently associated with a nearly 5-fold increase in 30-day mortality. The vast majority of patients with MINS were asymptomatic and would have gone undetected without routine postoperative troponin measurement. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Effect of Home-Based Prehabilitation on Postoperative Complications After Surgery for Gastric Cancer, Randomized Clinical Trial Background Recent studies have demonstrated that prehabilitation improves patients' physical fitness but its impact on postoperative morbidity remains unclear. This study aimed to assess the effect of personalized, multimodal, semi-supervised, home-based prehabilitation on postoperative complications after surgery for gastric cancer. Methods This RCT was conducted at two centers in Lithuania. Patients, aged at least 18 years, with gastric cancer scheduled to undergo elective primary surgery or surgery after neoadjuvant chemotherapy for gastric cancer were randomized, 1, 1, to prehabilitation or standard care. Prehabilitation included exercise interventions focused on endurance, respiratory muscle strength, stretching, and resistance training as well as nutritional and psychological support. The primary outcome was the proportion of patients with postoperative complications within 90 days after surgery. Secondary outcomes included 90-day mortality rate, physical condition, fitness level, nutritional status, quality of life, anxiety and depression level, and proportion of patients completing neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Results between February 2020 and September 2022, 128 participants were randomized to prehabilitation, 64 or standard care, 64, and 122, prehabilitation 61, control 61 were analyzed. The prehabilitation group had increased physical capacity before the operation compared with baseline, mean 6-minute walk test change plus 31, 95% CI 14 to 48, M. P equals 0.001. The prehabilitation group had a decreased rate of noncompliance with neoadjuvant treatment, risk ratio RR 0.20, 95% CI 0.20 to 0.56, a 60% reduction in the number of patients with postoperative complications at 90 days after surgery, RR 0.40, 0.24 to 0.66, and improved quality of life compared with the control group. Conclusion Prehabilitation reduced morbidity in patients who underwent gastrectomy for gastric cancer. Machine learning to predict outcomes following endovascular abdominal aortic aneurysm repair. Background Endovascular aneurysm repair, EVAR for abdominal aortic aneurysm, AAA, carries important perioperative risks, however, there are no widely used outcome prediction tools. 
The aim of this study was to apply machine learning, ML, to develop automated algorithms that predict one-year mortality following AVAR. Methods The Vascular Quality Initiative database was used to identify patients who underwent elective AVAR for infrarenal AAA between 2003 and 2023. Input features included 47 preoperative demographic-slash-clinical variables. The primary outcome was one-year all-cause mortality. Data were split into training, 70%, and test, 30%, sets. Using tenfold cross-validation, six ML models were trained using preoperative features with logistic regression as the baseline comparator. The primary model evaluation metric was area under the receiver operating characteristic curve, ORAC. Model robustness was evaluated with calibration plot and Briar score. Results Some 63,655 patients were included. One-year mortality occurred in 3,122 patients. The best-performing prediction model for one-year mortality was XGBoost, achieving an ORAC, 95% CI, of 0.96, 0.95-0.97. Comparatively, Logistic regression had an ORAC, 95% CI, of 0.69-0.68-0.71. The calibration plot showed good agreement between predicted and observed event probabilities with a Briar score of 0.04. The top three predictive features in the algorithm were 1, unfit for open AAA repair, 2, functional status, and 3, preoperative dialysis. Conclusions In this dataset, Machine learning was able to predict one-year mortality following EVAR using preoperative data and outperforms standard logistic regression models. Individualized cancer vaccines versus surveillance after adjuvant chemotherapy for surgically resected high-risk stage 2 and stage 3 colorectal cancer, protocol for a randomized trial. Colorectal cancer is a major cause of death, accounting for around 9% of global cancer mortality 1. Surgery is the primary curative treatment, with adjuvant cytotoxic chemotherapy offered to reduce recurrence and improve long-term survival. To date, predicting which patients will truly benefit from adjuvant therapy remains unclear, yet the potential utility of circulating tumor DNA CNA, in selecting patients for adjuvant treatment is increasingly recognized. The GALAXY trial reported that patients with detectable CNA four weeks after primary colorectal surgery had a much higher recurrence risk, HR 10.0, P less than 0.0001, and detectable CNA was the most significant prognostic factor associated with disease recurrence, HR 10.82, P less than 0.0012. Cancer vaccines offer an innovative approach to reducing cancer recurrence after surgery by driving anti-tumor immune response promoting tumor infiltrating lymphocyte, TIL, migration to sites of residual disease, the TILS then target cells expressing tumor antigens. Development of mRNA vaccine technology surged during the COVID-19 pandemic. The BioNTech Individualized Neoantigen-Specific Immunotherapy, INEST, Platform builds on these advances by performing whole exome sequencing on resected tumor tissue and then generating bioinformatically predicted and ranked neoantigens specific for an individual patient's cancer 3. A bespoke mRNA vaccine is then delivered in a uridine lipid envelope, preferentially taken up by dendritic cells with cancer antigens synthesized and expressed via major histocompatibility complex class 1 and 2 receptors. 
CD8 and CD4 cells are activated via toll-like receptor, TLR7 and TLR8 respectively, driving an immune reaction specific to the individual patient's cancer. These personalized vaccines can be generated within nine weeks of specimen collection and integrated into complex surgical and oncological patient pathways for colorectal cancer is classically an immune cold cancer, limiting the impact of novel immunotherapies in all but a minority of cases 5 and is therefore an attractive setting for vaccine technology. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Early experience with bridging stent graft deployment without sheath support in branched and fenestrated endovascular aortic repair. Objective. To assess the early experience with modified version of simplified barewire target vessel, SMART, technique, implying delivery of bridging stent grafts without historically established sheath support, and to compare its outcome to standard endovascular aortic repair procedures with fenestrated slash branch devices. Methods. A retrospective analysis of 102 consecutive patients treated with fenestrated slash branch devices from January 2020 to December 2022 was undertaken. The study population was divided into three groups, a sheath group, SG, smart group, and non-sheath group, NSG. Primary endpoints were radiation exposure, dose area product, fluoroscopy time, dose of contrast agent, operation time, and incidence of intraoperative target vessel, TV, complications and additional procedures. Freedom from secondary TV-related reinterventions at the three follow-up phases were defined as secondary endpoints. Results A total of 183 TVs, 38.8% visceral arteries, VA, 56.3% renal arteries, RA in the SG, 36 TVs, 44.4% VA, 55.6% RA in the SMART group, and 168 TVs, 47.6% VA, 50% RA, in the NSG were accessed. The mean number of fenestrations and bridging stent grafts was equally distributed in all three groups. The SMART group only included cases treated with fenestrated devices. The dose area product was significantly lower in the SMART, median, 203 grays times CM2, interquartile range, IQR, 179 to 365 grays times CM2 and NSG, median, 340 grays times CM2, IQR, 220 to 651 grays times CM2, groups versus the SG, median, 464 grays times CM2, IQR, 267 to 871 grays times CM2, P equals 0.007. Operation time was also significantly lower in the NSG, median, 265 minutes, IQR, 221 to 337 minutes, and SMART, median, 292 minutes, IQR, 234 to 351 minutes, groups versus the SG, median, 326 minutes, IQR, 277 to 375 minutes, P equals 0.004, respectively. Intraoperative TV-related complications were most frequently observed in the SG, 9183 TVs, P equals 0.008. Conclusions This study reports the outcomes of three currently available TV standing approaches. Previously reported SMART technique, and its modified version, NSG, 
proved to be a safe alternative to historically established TV stenting technique with sheath support, SG. Five-year outcomes of endosuture aneurysm repair in patients with short neck abdominal aortic aneurysm from the anchor registry. Objective. Hostile aortic neck anatomy such as proximal short necks are known to put patients at an increased risk for type Ya endoleaks, migration, and need for reinterventions. The Heli FX endo anchor system was designed to improve seal of aortic stent grafts. Endosuture aneurysm repair. ESAR, using endo anchors with the endurance stent graft has been shown to be safe and effective for the treatment of patients with short necks through one year. This study reports the five-year patient outcomes of the aneurysm treatment using the HELI-FX Endo Anchor System Global Registry, Anchor, Short Neck Regulatory Cohort. Methods The 70 patients from the Anchor Registry were cohort submitted to regulators for approval of the endurance short neck indication. Patients had an infrarenal neck length of greater than or equal to 4 mm and less than 10 mm. At 5 years, this short neck cohort had clinical and imaging follow-up compliance rates of 85%, 28-33, and 70%, 23-33, respectively. Results The short neck cohort had a mean age of 71.3 plus or minus 8.1 years and was 27.1%, 1970, female. Kaplan-Meier freedom from all-cause mortality was 68.5 plus or minus 6.2 percent, freedom from aneurysm-related mortality was 90.1 plus or minus 4.5 percent, freedom from any endovascular or surgical secondary procedure was 76.9 plus or minus 7.2 percent, and freedom from rupture was 95.6 plus or minus 3.2 percent. Eight patients had a total of nine type Ya endoleaks detected through five years, of which three resolved spontaneously by the next follow-up visit. There were two patients with renal complications who did not undergo re-intervention and there were no device migrations reported through five years. After five years, 68.2% of patients, 1522, had sac regression, 13.6%, 322, had stable sacs, and 18.2%, 422, had increased sac diameter as compared with their one-month measurements. Conclusions. After easer treatment using HELI-FX endo anchors with Endurant, the five-year outcomes of the short neck cohort from the anchor registry had encouraging results with regards to proximal neck-related complications, secondary procedures, and sac regression. This review of easer in patients with short proximal necks showed positive outcomes through five years although follow-up of a larger cohort is necessary. Impact of Guideline-Directed Medical Therapy on 5-Year Mortality in Patients with Newly Diagnosed Peripheral Artery Disease Objective Current guidelines recommend that patients with peripheral artery disease, PAD, should be treated with antithrombotic agents, renin-angiotensin system blockers, and statins. However, the clinical impact of Guideline-Directed Medical Therapy, GDMT, on long-term mortality in patients with newly diagnosed PAD remains unclear. We aim to investigate the prevalence of GDMT and evaluate five-year mortality according to GDMT after PAD diagnosis. Methods This retrospective cohort study, using nationwide health insurance claims data in Korea, 
included patients newly diagnosed with PAD between 2006 and 2015. GDMT was defined as the use of all drugs, including antithrombotic agents, renin and angiotensin system blockers, and statins, within three months of PAD diagnosis. The primary endpoint was all-cause mortality. Results We investigated 19,561 newly diagnosed patients with PAD without proven cardiovascular disease. Among the study population, 4,378 patients, 22.4%, were categorized in the GDMT and 15,183, 77.6%, in the non-GDMT groups. During the five-year follow-up, GDMT showed a lower incidence of all-cause mortality than that of non-GDMT, 2.8% versus 4.8%, adjusted hazard ratio, 0.329. 95% confidence interval, 0.257 to 0.421, p less than 0.001. Even in the propensity match population, GDMT showed a lower mortality rate than non-GDMT, hazard ratio, 0.283, 95% confidence interval, 0.217 to 0.370, p less than 0.001. As the number of guideline-recommended drugs increased, the mortality rate decreased proportionately. Conclusions After PAD diagnosis, GDMT was associated with a lower incidence of mortality regardless of proven cardiovascular disease. This retrospective analysis showed an insufficient prevalence of GDMT among patients with PAD in real-world practice. Long-term outcome after implementation of endovascular first strategy to treat acute mesenteric ischemia. Objective. To evaluate the rationale of an aggressive endovascular first strategy to treat elderly patients with acute mesenteric ischemia, AMI, by studying long-term survival, readmissions, and patients discharged to home versus nursing facility a decade after an episode of AMI. Methods. The retrospective study cohort included 66 consecutive patients, all comers, treated for arterial occlusive AMI between 2009 and 2013. Endovascular revascularization, EVR, was attempted in 50 patients, EVR+, whereas 16 patients were treated without attempted revascularization, EVR-. All patients were followed until death or September 2022. Studied outcomes included discharge status, long-term survival and cause of death and readmissions related to AMI. Results The mean age of all 66 patients was 78 plus or minus 10 years, 79 plus or minus 9 years in the EVR plus group, and 76 plus or minus 12 years in the EVR minus group. EVR was technically successful in 44 patients, 88%. Three patients underwent subsequent open revascularization after EVR failure. One-third required bowel resection after EVR. The 30-day mortality for all patients was 44%, 32% in the EVR plus group and 81% in the EVR minus group. Only two survivors were permanently institutionalized, whereas all others were discharged to the same place they lived prior to the AMI episode. There were four AMI-related readmissions during the follow-up, all were in the EVR plus group. Two patients underwent reinterventions for recurrent AMI. One-year survival was 52% for EVR plus and 19% for EVR minus patients. 
five-year survival rates were 18% and 13%, respectively. The causes of deaths were mesenteric ischemia in 22, other cardiovascular event in 21, and non-cardiovascular cause in 19 patients. Four patients were alive at the end of the follow-up. Conclusions In this unselected elderly population with AMI, the aggressive strategy to attempt EVR resulted in a high revascularization rate and favorable outcomes. The high proportion of patients returning to their prior living status and low readmission rate after survival from AMI encourages active treatment of high-functioning elderly patients. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Prognostic value of tumor deposits in stage 3 colorectal cancer patients with different end stages, a population-based, retrospective, cohort study. Purpose. Tumor deposits, TDs, seem to be associated with the prognosis of patients with colorectal cancer, CRC. The goal of this study was to investigate the prognostic value of TDs among patients with stage 3 CRC at different end stages. Methods. A retrospective analysis was performed on two independent cohorts of stage 3 CRC patients from the surveillance, epidemiology, and end results, SEER, database, and equals 8,232, and the first affiliated hospital of Winsum Medical University, and equals 423. Primary outcomes were overall survival, OS and cancer-specific survival, CSS. Results. Of 8,232 patients in the SEER cohort, the presence of TDs revealed poorer 5-year OS rates and 5-year CSS rates in all end-stage subgroups. X-Style software identified 5, 5-year OS, P equals 0.004, 5-year CSS, P less than 0.001, as the optimal cutoff value for TD count in the TD-positive subgroup at the N2 stage. The OS, 5-year OS, 62.0% versus 42.0%, P less than 0.001, and CSS, 5-year CSS, 66.0% versus 43.8%, P less than 0.001, of patients with 5 or more TDs were significantly worse than those with 1 to 4 TDs in the N2 stage subgroups. Of 423 patients in the Wenzhou cohort, the 3-year OS rate for patients in the positive group was worse than that for patients in the negative group, 88.7% versus 94.3%, P equals 0.015. Conclusions TD count should be considered when evaluating the prognosis of patients with the N2 stage. Those with higher TD counts, greater than or equal to 5, might have a worse prognosis. Postoperative outcomes and quality of life after left thoracoabdominal esophagogastrectomy, contrasting esophagogastrostomy with esophagogejunostomy. Background Following left thoracoabdominal LTA, esophagogastrectomy, gastrointestinal continuity can be re-established via esophagogastrostomy or esophagogejunostomy. We explored how the method of reconstruction impacted postoperative outcomes and quality of life. Call. Methods from January 2007 to January 2022, patients undergoing LTA were identified from a single center's prospectively maintained database. 
following esophagogastrectomy or extended total gastrectomy, an esophagogastrostomy, GAS, or RUNY esophagojejunostomy, RY, was fashioned. Postoperative outcomes were compared according to the method of reconstruction. The Functional Assessment of Cancer Therapy Esophagus, FACTE, Questionnaire Compared Call. Results. Of the 147 LTA patients identified, 135, 92%, were included, 97 GAS, 72%, and 38 RY patients, 28%. RY patients had more of 3-4 lesions, 97% versus 61%, P less than or equal to 0.001, and a similar incidence of a plus-slash-M plus disease. Anastomotic leaks were more common among GAS patients, 17% versus 3%, P equals 0.023, however grade 3 quarters complications, 26.6% versus 19.4%, P equals 0.498, reoperation, intensive care admission, hospital representation and readmission were similar. FACTE data were available for 6897, 70%, GAS patients and 2238, 58%, RY patients, with scores for 80-21-24-18-23-24 patients at baseline slash preoperatively slash 1 month slash 3 to 6 months slash 1 to 3 years slash 3 plus years postoperatively, respectively. Comparing between the groups, the scores were similar at each time point. FACTI improved between baseline and preoperatively, 79, 34 to 124 versus 102, 81 to 123, P equals 0.027. Only at 3 plus years were postoperative scores equivalent to preoperative values. Gas patients had more reflux and esophagitis greater than 6 months postoperatively, 54% versus 13%, P equals 0.048, 62% versus 0%, P less than or equal to 0.001. Conclusion While the type of reconstruction did not affect call, it did affect the postoperative course. Next article is from International Journal of Surgery. Comparing rationale for opioid prescribing decisions after surgery with subsequent patient consumption, a survey of the highest quartile of prescribers. Background. Opioid prescribing patterns, including those after surgery, have been implicated as a significant contributor to the U.S. opioid crisis. A plethora of interventions, from nudges to reminders, have been deployed to improve prescribing behavior, but reasons for persistent outlier behavior are often unknown. Study Design Our institution employs multiple prescribing resources and a near-real-time, feedback-based intervention to promote appropriate opioid prescribing. Since 2019, an automated system has emailed providers when a prescription exceeds the 75th percentile of typical opioid consumption for a given procedure, as defined by institutional data collection. Emails include population consumption metrics and an optional survey on rationale for prescribing. Responses were analyzed to understand why providers choose to prescribe atypically large discharge opioid prescriptions. We then compared provider prescriptions against patient consumption. Results During the study period, 10,672 eligible post-surgical patients were discharged, 2,013 prescriptions, 29.4% of opioid prescriptions, exceeded our institutional guideline. 
surveys were completed by outlier prescribers for 414, 20.6%, encounters. Among patients where both consumption data and prescribing rationale surveys were available, 35.2% did not consume any opioids after discharge and 21.5% consumed less than 50% of their prescription. Only 93, 39.9%, patients receiving outlier prescriptions were outlier consumers. Most common reasons for prescribing outlier amounts were attending preference, 34%, and prescriber analysis of patient characteristics, 34%. Conclusions The top quartile of opioid prescriptions did not align with, and often far exceeded, patient post-discharge opioid consumption. Provider site assessment of patient characteristics as a common driver of decision-making, but this did not align with patient usage for approximately 50% of patients. Comparative risk of type 2 diabetes after gastrectomy and endoscopic resection for gastric cancer, a nationwide cohort study. Background Patients with gastric cancer, GC, experience two characteristic treatment modalities, gastrectomy or endoscopic resection, which may induce heterogeneity in the risk of post-cancer treatment type 2 diabetes, T2D. We investigated differences in the risk for T2D development in survivors of GC according to the two treatment methods. Study Design This retrospective nationwide population-based cohort study included 14,646 patients with GC who underwent gastrectomy, N equals 12,918, or endoscopic resection, N equals 1,728. We enrolled patients who survived for at least five years after gastrectomy or endoscopic resection, had no history of diabetes, and had not received adjuvant chemotherapy. T2D risk was evaluated using Cox regression for the gastrectomy group and compared to that of the endoscopic resection group. Because of the competing risks of incident T2D in death, a competing risk regression was performed. Results After a median follow-up duration of 8.1 years, the incidence rates of T2D in the endoscopic resection group and gastrectomy group were 7.58 and 6.98 per 1,000 person years, respectively. Patients undergoing gastrectomy showed a significantly higher risk for developing T2D than patients undergoing endoscopic resection, hazard ratio, HR, 1.37, 95% C1.18 to 1.58, P less than 0.0001. In subgroup analyzes, gastrectomy was associated with increased T2D risk in female patients, HR, 1.72. 95% C1.22 to 2.43, P equals 0.030 for interaction. Conclusions Among GC survivors, patients undergoing gastrectomy showed a 37% increased risk of T2D development compared to patients undergoing endoscopic resection. Subgroup analyzes showed that T2D risk increased by up to 72% in female patients. These results provide insights for establishing screening and preventive strategies for GC survivors to prevent T2D according to different treatment modalities. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Surgical Management of Traumatic Sternal Body Nonunions, Technical Tricks and Clinical Experience 
Background Rarely, traumatic sternum fractures may result in nonunion, which can have drastic, negative implications. Literature on traumatic sternal nonunion reconstruction outcomes is limited to case reports. We present the surgical principles and report clinical outcomes for seven patients following surgical reconstruction of a traumatic sternal body nonunion. Methods Consecutive adult patients with a nonunion after a traumatic sternum fracture who underwent reconstruction using locking plate technology and iliac crest bone graft at a level eye trauma center from 2013 to 2021 were identified. Demographic, injury, and surgery data was collected and postoperative patient reported outcome, PRO, scores were obtained. Patient reported outcome scores included the one-question single assessment numeric evaluation, SANE, and the combined 10-question global physical health and global mental health values. Injuries were classified and all fractures were mapped onto a sternum template. Postoperative radiographs were reviewed for union. Results Of the study 7 patients, 5 were female, and the mean age was 58 years. Mechanism of injury included motor vehicle collision, 5, and blunt object chest trauma, 2. The mean time from initial fracture to nonunion fixation was 9 months. 4 of the 7 patients achieved in-clinic follow-up at greater than or equal to 12 months, mean equals 14.3 months, while the other 3 achieved greater than or equal to 6 months of in-clinic follow-up. Six patients completed outcome surveys greater than or equal to 12 months after surgery, mean equals 28.9 months. Mean pro scores at final follow-up included, SANE of 75, out of 100, and global physical health and global mental health of 44 and 47, respectively, U.S. population mean equals 50. Six of seven patients achieved known radiographic union. Conclusion We describe an effective and practical method of achieving stable fixation in traumatic sternal body nonunions as evidenced by the positive clinical outcomes of a seven-patient series. Despite the variation in presentation and fracture morphology of this rare injury, the surgical technique and principles outlined can serve as a useful tool for chest wall surgeons. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Not all traumatic brain injury patients on pre-injury anticoagulation are the same. Background Prognostic significance of different anticoagulants in TBI patients remains unanswered. We aim to compare effects of different anticoagulants on outcomes of TBI patients. Methods A secondary analysis of Ostbig MIT Blunt TBI patients greater than or equal to 50 years using anticoagulants presenting ICH were identified. Outcomes were progression of ICH and need for neurosurgical intervention, NSI. Results 393 patients were identified. Mean age was 74 and most common anticoagulant was aspirin, 30%, followed by Plavix, 28%, and Coumadin, 20%. 20% had progression of ICH and 10% underwent NSI. On multivariate regression for ICH progression, warfarin, SDH, IPH, SA, alcohol intoxication, and neurologic exam deterioration were associated with increased odds. Warfarin, abnormal neurologic exam on presentation, and SDH were independent predictors of NSI. Conclusions Our findings reflect a dynamic interaction between type of anticoagulants, bleeding pattern and outcomes. 
future modifications of BIG may need to take the type of anticoagulant into consideration. To read this article in full you will need to make a payment. Impact of methylcarbamol on opioid use after primary ventral and inguinal hernia repair. Background. Multimodal analgesia is now a mainstay of perioperative care. Our aim is to assess the impact of adding methylcarbamol on opioid use for patients undergoing primary ventral, umbilical and epigastric, hernia repair, PVHR and inguinal hernia repair, IHR. Methods. Retrospective review of patients undergoing PVHR and IHR who received methylcarbamol propensity score matched in a 2 to 1 fashion to patients not receiving methylcarbamol. Results 52 PVHR patients receiving methylcarbamol were matched to 104 control patients. Steady patients were prescribed fewer opioids, 55.8 versus 90.4%, P less than 0.001 and received lower MME, 20 versus 50, P less than 0.001, with no difference in refills or rescue opioids. For IHR, study patients received fewer prescriptions, 67.3 versus 87.5%, P less than 0.001, and received lower MME, 25 versus 40, P less than 0.001, with no difference in rescue opioid, 5.9 versus 0%. P equals 0.374. Conclusions Methylcarbamol significantly reduced opioid prescribing in patients undergoing PVHR and IHR without increasing the risk of refill or rescue opioid. The influence of operating room temperature and humidity on surgical site infection a multi-site ACS and scope analysis. Background. Literature evaluating intraoperative temperature slash humidity and risk of surgical site infection, SSI, is lacking. Methods. All operations at three centers reported to the ACS and scope were reviewed, 2016 to 2020, ambient intraoperative temperature, 0F, and relative humidity, RH, were recorded in 15-minute intervals. The primary endpoint was superficial SSI, which was evaluated with multi-level logistic regression. Results 14,519 operations were analyzed with 179 SSIs, 1.2%. The lower-slash-upper 10th percentiles for temperature and RH were 64.4-slash-71.4 degrees Fahrenheit and 33.5-slash-55.5% respectively. Low or high temperature carried no significant increased risk for SSI, low 0F or equals 0.95, 95% C0.51 to 1.77, P equals 0.86, high 0F or equals 1.13, 95% C equals 0.69 to 1.86, P equals 0.63. This was also true for low and high RH, low RH or equals 0.96, 95% C0.58 to 1.61, P equals 0.88, high RH or equals 0.61, 95% C equals 0.33 to 1.14, P equals 0.12. Analysis of combined temperature slash humidity showed no increased risk for SSI. Conclusion 
Significant deviations in intraoperative temperature slash humidity are not associated with increased risk of SSI. Implementation of entrustable professional activities in multiple surgical residencies, a quality improvement approach. Background The COVID-19 pandemic decreased the operative case volume for surgical residents. Our institution implemented entrustable professional activities, EPAs, in all core surgical training programs to document the competency of graduating residents. Continuation of this project aimed to improve implementation. Methods This project occurred at a large academic center with eight surgical specialties during the 2020-21 year one and 2021-22 year two academic years. Each specialty chose five EPAs, and residents were asked to obtain three micro-assessments per EPA. After the initial pilot year, program directors were surveyed regarding perceptions of EPA utility and barriers to implementation. Results 70 senior residents completed 732-906, micro-assessments. Of these, 99.6% were deemed practice-ready. Total micro-assessment completion rates in four specialties, four specific EPAs, including one EPA identified at risk due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and overall were significantly higher in year two than year one, p less than 0.05 conclusions. Implementing EPAs in all core surgical specialties at an institution is achievable, though expectedly initially imperfect. An ongoing quality collaborative initiative focused on barriers to implementation can improve completion rates. Below the knee, let it be, management of calf DVT in hospitalized trauma patients. Introduction Management of below-knee DVT, BKDVT, in trauma patients is uncertain. We hypothesize that BKDVT can be managed with observation only. Methods Secondary analysis on trauma in patients March 2017-September 2019 with risk assessment profile greater than or equal to 5. Management of BKDVT included observation with ultrasound. BKDVT was compared to above-knee DVT. ACTF, and BKDVT with progression to ACTF slash PE compared to no progression. Results. Of 1988 patients, 136, 6.8% BKDVT and 23, 1.2% ACTF. 7, 6.9% BKDVT progressed to ACTF slash PE. 6.9% had BKDVT progression, associated with higher ISS. 36.7 versus 21.6, P equals 0.005, longer prophylaxis delay, 121 versus 45H, P equals 0.02, and longer hospital loss, 25.6 versus 7.8, P equals 0.01. Non-experienced post-thrombotic syndrome. Conclusion Majority of BKDVT in hospitalized trauma patients did not progress to ACT. Observation for progression, rather than treatment, was not associated with increased PE risk or thrombotic sequelae. Observation with serial ultrasound may serve as a practical alternative to anticoagulation in trauma patients with BKDVT.
Early warning, N-tidal carbon dioxide is associated with central venous oxygenation under continuous cardiorespiratory monitoring in a porcine model of hemorrhagic shock and resuscitation. Background N-tidal carbon dioxide, ECO2, has previously shown promise as a predictor of shock severity and mortality in trauma. ECO2 monitoring is non-invasive, real-time, and readily available in pre-hospital settings, but the temporal relationship of ECO2 to systemic oxygen transport has not been thoroughly investigated in the context of hemorrhagic shock. Methods A validated porcine model of hemorrhagic shock and resuscitation was used in male Yorkshire swine, N equals 7. Both ECO2 and central venous oxygenation, SCVO2, were monitored and recorded continuously in addition to other traditional hemodynamic variables. Results Linear regression analysis showed that ECO2 was associated with SVO2 both throughout the experiment, beta equals 1.783, 95% confidence interval, c, 1.552 to 2.014, p less than 0.001, and during the period of most rapid hemorrhage, beta equals 4.896, 95% c, 2.416 to 7.377, p less than 0.001 when there was a marked decrease in ECO2. Conclusions ECO2 and SVO2 were closely associated during rapid hemorrhage and continue to be temporally associated throughout shock and resuscitation. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.